Well, it is a real honor tonight uh, to have the privilege to introduce uh, our guest uh, here for tonight. His name is KB. You ever heard of him before? Anybody? Anybody heard of KB? Okay, here you go. If you have not, let me uh, just uh, tell you a little bit about KB. KB is uh, a Dove Award winning rapper, speaker, podcaster, and now author with four full-length albums to his name, including 2020's His Glory Alone for which he won the Dove Award for Rap Hip Hop Album of the Year. He has become a number one hit maker and received critical acclaim uh, for his studio releases with placement on Billboard's Top 200 Album Chart and, a, and Top 5 on Billboard's Top Rap Album Chart. KB is a co-host of the popular podcast Southside Rabbi. Furthermore, HGA and Movement, um, he spearheaded, made up, of multi-ethnic urban men and women from all walks of life have amassed a loyal following around the globe. This brother is a minister of the gospel. He would not want me to say any of those things. Honestly, what he cares most about is Jesus, and that's who the point is about tonight. But although KB wears many hats, his greatest joy is being a husband to Michelle and a father to their three children. Would you please put your hands together and welcome my brother, KB, as it comes. <laughs> you make it do there. <laughs> yo, yo, what's going on, family? What's going on? Doing all right? Thank y'all for allowing me in here. Man, Grace thank to you. you. Yeah, for sure. You recognize this song? I don't know if you recognize it at all. That song is ruining my life, man. Uh, <laughs> it's like being, it's like a country club favorite right now. It's the only gold record I have, okay? okay. And uh, not because my fans have consumed that song, uh, but because country clubs around the world have made a line dance to it. And uh, I don't know how to explain that to my friends in the south side of St. Pete, but here we are. Man, good stuff. Thank you, man. You, you could have been anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, tonight, but it is a real blessing, blessing to be able to have you here Amen, uh, with us. Thank you. Um, and uh, man, you wrote a book. I did. Man, how does it feel? Mama, that I'm an author now. Yes. yes. Uh, this book, by the way, it is called Dangerous Jesus. All right. And so um, if you do not have a copy, I would encourage you, okay, to go and get one. This is your first book, right? Did you ever? Yes. You've yes, ever sir. written? Yes, sir. And I had a chance uh, because I have an ADD. I didn't only just read it. I had an audible as well to help me stay focused. You know what I'm saying? And uh, what was interesting, I told uh, KB this uh, earlier, was that as I was listening to it and reading it, there was a part where you were talking about your upbringing, and then there was a gunshot. And I was kind of confused. Like, I heard it in uh, the audible because that sound effects, but I didn't realize that at the beginning. And so I took my uh, my AirPods out. I thought, man, somebody's shooting at the, at the coffee shop that I was at. But that was not the case. That was not the case at all. That was not the case. It was a part, sorry, it was a part of the experience. So I got a lot of questions, a little time on the clock. Yeah. But, uh, man, let's, let's, uh, let's jump in, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, here tonight. I want to start tonight really the same place that you, you began in the book, in your introduction. Yeah. You are, you're 15 years old. And uh, your mom uh, is just divorced your father after uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. One of the things uh, that you, and I won't give the whole thing away, I'll give you some time to talk about that, but you said uh, this story, you start off by saying, this story is about the most dangerous man I ever met. It starts with me, a 15-year-old, which is when you go into this story mm-hmm. about uh, you being in your grandmother's house in St. Pete, mm-hmm. uh, fresh off of this divorce, and you said, your grandfather had built this house, but his dream felt more like a nightmare to me because of the constant conflict that surrounded me there. 
Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And yeah. I have so many questions for you. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. one of the questions I have is, why in the world would you start your book off um, in a time that was a nightmare? Yeah. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. You? Talk a little bit about that and some of the circumstances that surrounded that time. Yeah, great question. So um, a little bit about me. I, I am from St. Petersburg. Um, the only other place that I lived for a long time was actually up the street from USF, uh, with the exception of uh, when I got married, we, I moved to Lutz. But uh, my story starts with um, a, you know, uh, kind of a culmination. It was a cauldron of chaos uh, where I was, for a long period of time, living on an Air Force base, and we were safe there. I, I never saw crimes committed. I remember the worst crime that I had saw, I'm not even sure if it was a crime, I saw a high school student smoking a cigarette, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this man is a rebel. And, um, and when my parents divorced, my mother and I ended up in Southside St. Petersburg, and there were soldiers there, but they were street soldiers. Uh, there, there were guns there, but they weren't M16s at the base uh, check-in points. It was uh, folks out there trying to make a living for themselves uh, in a very dark market. Um, in addition to that, you're living in an under-resourced, concentrated poverty area, it creates a lot of temptation. Uh, having my father kind of ripped out of my life for, uh, th this happened to me several times, uh, where there was a man in my life that was there and then not there anymore. I found myself trying to find out who I was through the people I looked up to. In hip hop, there's this kind of demonic triune reality uh, let's say idolatrous triune reality of money, power, and respect. And the idea is he who has the most money, power, and respect, they are the manly, the manliest. Uh, they are the most important. They are the most established. Uh, and to me, if you ask me at 15 years old, who are the giants among us, the folks who have found out who they are, who lean into their masculinity, who I want to be with, I would talk to you about folks in hip-hop culture who had amassed money, power, and respect. Same thing on my neighborhood. I wasn't respected. I, I was getting in fights. I, I was looked down on. I was small for most of high school, a little bit of college, so I, I found myself in scuffles. I wasn't respected, and I had no money, and no power. And I, I longed for that. And I never would have thought that, that Jesus hmm. would be a representation of everything that I longed for in its fullness. So I, I grew up in black culture. Uh, a lot of times in black culture, Christianity is just culture. It's just a part of what you do. Atheism is very weird. People doing things like devil worship and it's like oh hold up what's going on here um there was a general respect no matter where you were in the culture you could be out hurting people but you still would put your gun away when you went by a church you would turn your music down there was just a general respect but i didn't see jesus as relevant to my life i saw that as my grandmother's thing my mom's thing as a result christianity was boring to me and uh and, and i and i really believed that the problem was christianity because Christianity is boring. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't until 15, 16 years old. What's up, man? Somebody gave me. <laughs> he waved. I waved. I just wanted to acknowledge him. I was at the darkest place in my life. Uh, the trying to pursue the money, power, and respect was failing me. 
Somebody gave me a Christian hip-hop CD. The dude on the front cover of that CD had dreadlocks like mine. Uh, he had a red bandana going across his mouth, a red bandana going across his forehead. And the title of the project was Bloody Streets Volume 1. I was sure it wasn't Christian rap. <laughs> Bloody Streets, hip-hop album, you're killing people. Um, the gentleman gave me the album, I took it home, and it turned out that the Bloody Streets was about the blood of Jesus covering people in the streets. Mm. The eighth song on the album, I loved every single song, the eighth song on the album was a gospel presentation. And in that presentation, things became clear to me. Uh, the problem was not that Jesus was lacking in money, power, and respect. In fact, Jesus is more resourced than anybody you can ever imagine. Not just in monetary ways. That's small boy talk, hmm. right? We're, we're talking about the God of the universe mm -hmm. that saves sinners. What kind of riches does one have to have to pay the debt of sin? Hmm. Jesus has that. Yes, sir. Uh, power? Are we talking about power? Which one of your homies raises people from the dead, <laughs> right? Uh, we're talking about strength like you've never seen, right? And then respect, the respect of the Lord Jesus Christ, that at the mention of his name, yeah. Yeah. demons tremble. Yes, sir. Uh, um. Uh, the, 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 the destiny of all things is redemption. As King would say, the arc of, of existence leans towards justice. That's right. Justice for all is in the kingdom of God. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We will all agree Jesus is that guy. Yes, sir. That is the respect that no one could imagine and what I found out is that this Jesus is not boring. It's not that gazing upon him is a boring matter. It's that you are too blind to see him. Hmm. If you find God unimpressive, if Jesus is unimpressive, it's because you don't know him hmm. or you don't know him as you should. To find Jesus is to find someone who is the culmination of all that is brilliant, glory, lovely, awesome, and true in this world. That's who Jesus is. So... What I saw in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ is a different kind of dangerous. The guys who I thought were dangerous in this world became small to me. And the good, dangerous Lord Jesus Christ, who is a threat to all the things that threaten us, uh, he puts in danger all of the evils that undermine and undo what is good, true, and beautiful in this world. That Jesus is a different kind of dangerous. The, the kind of dangerous you would assign to an athlete on the field. We think about sports in relationship to what that star athlete means to the opposing team. He is a threat to the opposition. We would say that he's dangerous in that respect. Jesus is that infinitely. He is a danger to all the things that put us and dangerous. He is the most dangerous man I ever met. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Anybody want to come to Jesus? No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll continue on. Let me ask you uh, this question. When you talked about the absence of your father, that really resonated with, resonated with me. Yeah. Um, I've never actually met my biological father ever yeah. in my life, and that has had an impact on my life. How has that impacted you? How has that shaped you? And uh, even as a dad, how, yeah. has that, has, how, how has that influenced you? That's the absence of your dad. Great question. Um, I also never met my biological father. He was killed uh, in a drug deal when he was when I was two years old. Um, I believed um, for a long time that uh, that 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 didn't affect me. Uh, I had found Jesus. I had found God's people. I was like, I mean, my dad wasn't there, but so. Um, <laughs> 
But as I got older and I started a family and I'm, I'm bringing children in this world and I'm naming them uh, the last name that my father who abandoned my mother, um, I'm naming them after him. Hmm. I mean, I, that's the name that is on me. Um, I also, as you get older, you, I, I had when, uh, sorry if y'all are new to Florida, we got these hurricanes that, that, that pump fake every every year, like <laughs> we think it's all over, and then then it just kind of passes us. Um, I probably was 26 years old uh, when a bad hurricane was coming, and I had just bought a house about a year before that, and uh, we had to put hurricane shutters up. And I realized that I had never climbed a ladder before. Now I was about to call. Oh right, I don't have a dad to call, and I and I was noticing in my life as I was accomplishing things, establishing businesses, employing people, hitting benchmarks in my career, I had this feeling in me that I wanted to call somebody and say, look at what we did. Look, and I, I, I found in scripture that Jesus at his baptism has this moment where the father, who Paul says, every father that carries the name derives their name from father God. Father's, fatherhood is shared to fathers, lended to fathers. We are to reflect him. Hmm. What Jesus needed at the beginning of his ministry and right before he goes to the cross is the affirmation of his father. Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hmm. To not have that hmm. has significant effects hmm. on a boy. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, studies show that it has greater effects on a boy than it even does on, 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 on our daughters. Mm. I was at this kind of crossroad, and I thought to myself, I'm going to change my name. I'm not going to go along with Burgess anymore. Burgess has meant something that I don't want to be a part of. I feel wounded from this man who was just gone. And I felt like the Lord arrested me and said, do you know that I am the God? who changes names. Give, giving you a new name is not necessarily something you do in the courts. But God can often do more with the imperfection of your name in bringing redemption than hmm. having a perfect need, name that doesn't need redemption. Hmm. That there's something beautiful about glory coming from ashes, from misrepresentation. And I felt strongly and in that I derived a sense of connection to my heavenly father that what father God is saying to son KB is that that is my son in whom I am well pleased because he's in Jesus and we are going to lead a new legacy where Burgess is going to mean something by God's grace for generations to come hmm. that is different from what it meant from generations in the past yes sir that has been peace to me do hmm. I still sometimes struggle working some of this out in, in therapy with getting at the end of a, a, an accomplishment and still longing to call my dad and say, dad, look, and not having that, that still burns some. But I'm always able to find refuge at the cross mm. that when Jesus heard from his father, that is my son in whom I'm well pleased, I will reward him not only with my affirmation, but with my kingdom. That's my destiny, too. Yes, sir. And I take great heart in that. So, Mom, she was there. She's been present Mom's in your here. life. Shout out to Mom. Yes. How has that impacted you? We talked about the absence of your, your yeah. dad. Yeah. How about your mom? 
Uh, my mom has been a woman of faith as long as I can remember. Uh, she's prayed for me. I think that I am here as an answer to her many years of prayer and fasting for my soul. Um, my mom is m one of my best friends in the world. She lives with me. She's lived with me for the last six years. Hmm. And um, in fact, I forgot to call her. She texted me and said, I need you to call me. And I didn't, so I need to do that. <laughs> um, I'll remind you. Thank you. I got you. Uh, she did say it was a non-emergency, but I did need to call her. Um, <laughs> I just honor her and her perseverance. Uh, being a single mom for many years, she is also, she's also, before she got sick, uh, she has uh, two... Uh, incurable diseases that have really crippled her in a lot of ways. Um, she was a woman of industry, CEO. Um, she brought us out of poverty by God's grace and became a uh, uh, a CEO of, of, of a hotel, started other hotels. And um, I learned from her just the resilience of a person that trusts Jesus and knows who they are. Um, she's a woman of faith. Uh, I, I was the doctor said that I was not supposed to be able to speak well hmm. um, because of the way that my tongue is shaped. And my uh, my mom said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and uh, and her and Jesus made something different happen. And, mm. and that's not what I do for a living. And um, I've watched her time and time again. The Lord show up in faithfulness uh, to her and her cries. And it's just she has shaped me spiritually. That's awesome. And that was just the introduction, okay? That was just yeah, the introduction. Yeah, yeah. This book is, uh, it is rich. I told you that I found myself while I was reading it and listening to it simultaneously, experiencing a wide range of emotions. Uh, I was happy. I found myself sad. I think even, um, uh, even angry, righteously. Yeah, so yeah. angry. Yeah, yes. um, I felt like I had a Professor of history at times. Uh -huh. Man, he did a, just a, it's, this book is a, such a gift. Um, I felt seen. Amen. So we get into uh, to chapter one. Is a, here's a question I have for you. In chapter one, which is entitled Dangerous Jesus, in your book and in this chapter, you use the phrase, the Christianity of the land. Yes. Of the land. Can you unpack that for us uh, just for a little bit? And how have you seen the Christianity of the land negatively impact Christians today? Good question. Um, th that's a great question because that's essentially what the book is predicated upon is this seeing something called the Christianity of Christ in contrast to the Christianity of the land. So I pulled that, um, that framework from an, an American hero, one of my favorite people in uh, history in general, uh, the great uh, liberator, uh, theologian, um, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass said, in the antebellum South, okay, as Christianity had this incestuous relationship with the transatlantic slave trade and slavery as it was manifest in America. Uh, to put that in a simple line, almost half of all literature written defending slavery was written by Christians. So it, it was, it, this wasn't a side issue that like, man, we got to do something about that. It was baked into the, the, the fabric of not just American society, but in Christian culture. I'm a Southern Baptist. Southern Baptists emerged out of rejection, not of the deity of Christ. They weren't a part of a, a Baptist union and, and some folks started tripping 
They started saying Jesus wasn't God. They were saying that we should be drinking poison and handling snakes. Nothing weird like that. It was just that some Baptists were saying, maybe we shouldn't own people. And the Southern Baptists were like, yes, we are. And they started their organization in reaction to that. This was the landscape that Frederick Douglass was in. One more thought about that. Frederick Douglass said that he watched his master, Thomas All, um, become a Christian. And after becoming a Christian, he became a worse master. And that that, that was a common... That was a common reality for enslaved people in America that they would pray to God that their master wasn't religious because they would would often be worse off than if there was just some regular run-in-the-mill just American society member. Frederick Douglass, and this is interesting for us, Frederick Douglass is living in this. And, and, And for all of us that are concerned about justice, we talk about microaggressions. Uh, he wasn't experiencing microaggressions. They, they, they were macro, big, ugly, blatant aggressions of hatred by Christians. And what he was able to discern by the Spirit of God, and it wasn't just Frederick Douglass, this was a reality that went all through the antebellum South on slave plantations. That you had people that were watching Jesus being abused, people masquerading, saying that Jesus was somebody who he wasn't that they were by the power of Jesus able to see that that Jesus is the Jesus of the land and the Christianity of Christ, the the Jesus of this book, is somebody else. That's who we worship. Mm. And Frederick Douglass said that he hated the Christianity of the land, which was a a cradle-plundering, woman-whipping, enslaving reality. But he said he loved the peaceable, pure Christianity of Christ, which was a light and hope to the world. Here you are, Frederick Douglass, a a person escaping slavery, largely by people naming the name of Jesus, was able to see that we need Jesus, just not their Jesus. Hmm. And what we see in American society right now, that I did not hold any punches (laughs) in this book, talking about at whatever consequence it may be i would y'all y'all can take this microphone from me i'm i listen i if my career is canceled because of this i will i will start at chipotle i already got the capital for it. uh it's all good i was smart about it i put money aside before they canceled me anyways um but the american society is a reinvention of what was happening in antebellum south antebellum south that there is indeed a christianity of this land Mm. Uh, a Christianity that is marked by what we call mascots of a civil, a civic religion. So you know what a mascot is, right? A mascot is a caricature of a real thing. But nobody's ever, there's no team that's been down by 50 and the mascot walked into the locker room and said, guys, I have a dance that's going to turn this thing around. <laughs> a mascot <laughs> exists to go along with what we're doing, right? <laughs> Jesus, in a lot of ways for the Christianity of the land, which is a Christianity that that looks more like the interest of the people in their organizations and not like the Jesus in this book who is reigning and ruling right now in the hearts of his people and bringing his kingdom. That Jesus is a mascot. So it might be 
we, we, we call them patriot Jesus, right? Mm. A Jesus whose Bible is not this, but the Constitution. I like the Constitution. I support the Constitution. But the Constitution isn't inspired. <laughs> there's amendments to it. Mm. The, 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 there's a, a kind of Second Amendment Jesus. The Jesus whose greatest... Um, uh, his greatest uh, 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 kind of work in this world is making sure that we can be armed, not hating on the Second Amendment. I'm just saying that is not Jesus's kingdom priority. Hmm. There's also, I call him Vibe Jesus, the Jesus that you go to to sprinkle a little bit of good vibes on whatever you got going on, but doesn't care about how you're living, holiness or righteousness. What about like uh, the, the, the Jesus of inactivity? that is content with us gathering in our churches and these structures that we build, having conferences and concerts. But there's nothing about this that is making it out there, that this is a Jesus who is for your Christian subculture, not for the world. Mm. There's all these kinds of Jesuses that many of us have bought into. That is, it is tantamount for our own, our own souls, the souls of this nation, the revival that we hope to see, yeah. uh, particularly in Gen Z. It is tantamount, it is essential that we are discerning what belongs to Jesus and what belongs to our imaginations. Hmm. Because what we do know about this dangerous Jesus is <laughs> he is not going to write a contract with us. Hmm. Like he's not going to say, well, you know, I get it. He doesn't get it. You get him or you get none of him, right? You get where he's coming from or he will not be with you. And what we want is the presence of God to infiltrate this generation, our cities, all of that. And God will not grant that to us if we are worshiping idols. Last thought. All through the Old Testament, you see God coming to a people who have reimagined him in their own image. And what he says emphatically over and over again, that I am fulfilled with compassion, mercy, forgiveness, power, strength, blessing, prosperity, I got it in full. But you will not have this until you stop worshiping idols. Full stop. I am content in myself. If y'all don't want to get down with the program, hmm. that's the position of our God. Hmm. So what I'm trying to do in the book in all these different ways, how we talk, how we have friendships, how we do church, mission, ministry, understand the gospel to get us somewhere that Jesus is pleased to bless. Hmm. And it's so good. You continue on in your book. You talk about dangerous, something you call dangerous faith. Yeah. Page 28, there's a quote in here. It says, there's no way to know that God is better than life while simultaneously holding on to life like it is better than God. Um, you had an opportunity to go on a missions trip with your church to West Africa. I yeah. believe it was in your 20s. Uh -huh. you correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Um, and it could have cost you something. Yes. Uh, what could that cost have been? And what did God reveal about you through that experience? Yes. Um, so... Yeah, I, uh, uh, the church that we're a part of, Living Faith Bible Fellowship, um, they uh, were doing a mission trip to West Africa, and I'm a missions, I mean, that's what I went to school for. Is that Rafi right there? Sitting next to you? 
No, okay, got gotcha, you. <laughs> uh, man, you look so much like him, bro. <laughs> Rafi would, would, was familiar with this as well. But, um, yeah, I... He feels really special, too. He's like, man. Yeah, yeah. I was like, man. I, He's like, I I'll be Rafi. You, you want me to be Rafi? Yeah. Yeah, man. I got a whole story behind who I thought you were. Um, so I, I, I had experience on mission, with doing mission trips. I've been to, like, 20 countries, you know, I was going to be a, before I got a record deal uh, and met my, my wife, uh, I was going to go overseas to plant churches. So I was like, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all going on a mission trip, sign me up. I do this. It's easy. Like, like, this, this, come on. And I went to my pastor's house to watch a documentary on the place where we were going. And the documentary, long story short, was terrifying. Uh, cannibalism, witchcraft. <laughs> I told you black people don't really fool with witchcraft like that. So, we, so I was like, hold on now. Y'all like, you know, we can't really fool with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was like they had two civil wars back to back. The infrastructure was, was, was falling apart in the country. And I had just started my career. I was just getting a little bit of traction. I had a number one album. Uh, you know, I was like, yo, there's some stuff I'm trying to do. And this documentary is saying, if you go on this trip, brother, you might not be coming back home. <laughs> so the documentary cuts off. My pastor stands up. And uh, I thought he was going to say, guys, you know how Hollywood is. It's not that bad. We're going to be safe. We're going to have a police escort. But that is not what he said. Uh, he said, if you want uh, to drop out of the trip for your safety, you will not be judged. It is good to pursue safety. So please hear me say that. If you can choose to be safe, do that. <laughs> um, but he said, if you go on this trip, you are deciding to lay, to lay your life down for Jesus. I heard that and I said, I got you, Pastor, but I'm not ready to lay my life down at 26, 27. I, this stuff I'm trying to do first. I lay it down in my 40s. So I got in my house. I drove home. And I thought that I would get home and tell my wife about, you know, this mission trip to hell is what it sounded like. And I was like, well, you know, I'll share it with her. She'll be scared for me and she'll shut the trip down. Very Adam-like behavior, putting it on my wife. And uh, so I got home. I sat my wife down. I shared with her the story. And when I was done, she said, uh, is God calling you on this trip? And I was like, that's not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think he is. And she said, well, I think you should go. And I said, well, what if I don't come home? And she said, well, if you don't come home, God will take care of me. I would rather you do what God is telling you to do. <laughs> that gave me courage I didn't have before because I saw in her faith, like I saw my backbone was strengthened through her faith. Mm. And long story short, I went on the trip. And I distinctly had this moment where eight moment where eight moments we were 18 hours into the jungle. I was laying on this concrete bed, mosquito net over my head, and I started to laugh because the joy of the Lord entered my heart. Because mm. I thought, wow, I am hungry, tired, and a long way from home. But I would rather be here knowing that God is pleased with me than to be anywhere else in disobedience. Mm. That to have God smiling at me is full. It is satisfying. It's 
what I am living for. There's nothing that a, a Grammy can't give me this. Mm, mm. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, a new house or uh, uh, another, some, some sort of record or record. Not, those things are empty, as Lecrae, I did a podcast with him on Sunday, as he said, it's trying to get full by eating the wind. Mm. You may fill your stomach up where it feels like you're full, but you are just as empty as you were before. That is like the fleeting accomplishments of this world, what is full, what is substantive, what is nutritious, is doing the will of my Father. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I have bread that you know not of, mm. and I'm full off of it. Mm. That's what those trips do. And it's not just that. It's any kind of hard thing. Um, for me, this year, I'm just going to be 